Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Counts Charge. I'm Elliot Morish. I'm Matt Croger. And I'm Jeremy Duvall. Welcome! Uh, I'm excited to continue our Clash 2022 preview coverage. You know, uh, if you haven't yet, make sure to go back and listen to our first two episodes. We had an episode earlier in the month with Kyle Pretzel Twinkie talking a little bit about the Clash 22 pack and more generalities and what are some of our favorite changes. And then also make sure if you haven't already, you take a listen to Matt James episode about what it's like to be a tester. Um, But today we're really excited. We have uh, fresh off his four foot snake victory, Elliot Morris. How's it going, Elliot? Very well, thank you. And considering that Four Foot Snake uh, is the only UK tournament, right, that really uses soft scores, us in America, that's the only tournament that matters that we care about in the UK. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't want to pour any oil on that fire, but <laughs> tell us a little bit. How did that event go for you? I loved it. It was um, it was obviously the first event back after lockdown for us, really. Um, I think a few people have been to smaller ones, but it was my first tournament in about 20 months. Um so just going back and seeing people and playing games was fantastic. But I, I love the hobby event side of it. Uh, during lockdown, I painted two full armies and decided not to use either of them. So I had the mad panic of painting the army up in time for Four Foot Snake. But I think having the um, having the hobby score in there really just pushed me to actually get the army up to a good standard. And I was really pleased, actually, with the, the army I've done. It's definitely my, my best work so far. And, and what did you take? To four foot six. <laughs> so I, t- I took Varanger, but only because I don't play Varanger, but it's it's a push it forward and not have to think about it too much army. And I was a bit concerned, having not been to a tournament for so long and was probably going to be drinking quite a lot, that I needed an army that didn't need too much thinking. And my Varanger had no shooting phase whatsoever. So that was a third of the game I didn't need to think about. I could just put to one side uh, and just worry about running forward and punching things with very punchy units. You know, that's, a, that's an interesting idea, right, Matt? The the thinking of not just what list do I want to bring because I think it's good or not good, but what list do I want to bring that would work in either if it's like the games are time-wise shorter or the scenarios are complex or are thinking about the gameplay style that would fit the tournament structure itself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that really plays into like I've um maybe let's say this edition, but – uh, in second edition, as a TO, I always resisted the call for. We always played with pretty tight time frames as part of the pack. You know, for twenty, well, for two thousand, we'd have fifty minutes aside. And part of that, I think, was you know because it would affect army design. I think in second edition, those particularly with using blackjack scoring, there there was a bit of a bias towards the unit strength army. So it was you know I think if if people were looking at it, you would have to think about what you took um elliot i'm interested because we, we have been talking about soft scores a little bit recently what what was the soft score aspect for four foot snake so when we added it all together it's basically the, the game game wise i think was 60 percent of your score that was available and then 40 percent of the available score came from everything else basically so there was a a, a tick box exercise 
to get between zero and 15 points. And I would say that every single army that was up to a basic tabletop standard would probably get 10 of those points. And then you've got maybe five more that are for things like edge highlighting, object source lighting, just trying new things, freehand, etc. And then the, the TOs would also go around uh, and award a certain number of points based on their arbitrary view of this is the coolest army here, I like this the most, this is probably the second. And you'd get, you know, from, from that, I think it was another 15 points you could achieve. Um, and then there was there was points for sports. Um, it wasn't massive. I think the most you could achieve for sports was nine points if you got everyone's favourite game vote. And then there was the usual points for you submitted your list on time. Well done. So it, it, the painting element was significant, but it, it, was, it wasn't massive. As I say, it probably, probably worked out just under a third of the available points you could have got. Um, but most people there, I, I reckon, will have got at least 70% of the available painting scores. Um, I think, oh, well, they didn't announce what the actual breakdown was, but I, I would hope I, I did fairly well. Um, but there was other armies there that definitely trounced me with painting. Yeah, I like that. I don't know what you think, Matt, but I like that when you're calculating overall. You know, there's lots of different ways to do it, obviously, but I do like that sort of where battle is maybe 60, 60 to 70 percent of your overall score. And then that 30 to 40 percent then is split through the the other soft scores. I know you guys don't do much soft score stuff in Australia, but I do like the overall score, maybe way being battle being weighed a little bit more than the other two. Uh, but I think that 60, 40 or 70, 30 is like a good sweet spot. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, in the end, you know, it's still the the game that should win out, right? And the game is about exactly you know yeah. how you how you do on the tabletop. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think we we talked about this um, in one of our live streams. Is you know, it just depends how the awards are valued too. It, like, there's still, I mean, I'm not sure how it was at Four Foot Snake, but in America, there's still always a best a best general. So it just depends what you're going for. And really, in the UK scene, right, Elliot, the the FFS tournament is really the is the only sort of I I don't I don't want to say because I'm not like a America, but it's the only sort of I guess air quotes American style tournament in that you have an overall award. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, it is very much based on the American tournaments because it was originally set up by Dan and John and Nick and Paul, who had all been over to American events, really liked it and wanted to bring that idea back back to the UK. So we we don't normally have a like an overall award and then a best general and a best everything else. We just have whoever won. And normally painting scores might be you get five points if your arm is fully painted, um, and nothing other than that really. And, and then there's usually a best a best painted award as a totally separate thing that that isn't part of the scoring. Um, I should just mention by the way that the actual name of the tournament is it's a troll four foot snake because it was a merging together of. Um, the Golden Troll events and the Four Foot Snake podcast. And I only have to okay, mention awesome. that because I know that Bob and Jan from It's a Troll actually did all of the work and um, John and Dan just got drunk all weekend. As is well, there, yeah, right? we, yeah, we got to make sure that the, the, the accolades go to, go to the right people. So, um, <laughs> Classic John just turning up and taking the, you know, taking the accolades. Right? Oh, yes. And I'm sure John would be the first one to point out that he sat there and got drunk all weekend while Bob and Jan ran around doing all the work. And then, like you said, uh, I imagine, um, you know, we've been doing some more tournaments, you know, in, in the U.S., but it must have been nice for you guys. Did it feel sort of like a school reunion or was it it was really nice to sort of see everyone again? It did. It was it was great to actually see people. And, and 
you forget that you haven't seen a lot of these guys in almost two years and you you don't realize how often you're used to seeing each other and it's a a, a real group of friends at the tournament scene especially in the uk because there's there's probably i would say about, about 100 players that, that see each other regularly um across the whole tournament scene and you know so it's a, it's a small enough scene that you really do get to know each other you spend these weekends away with each other um and yeah so it was really lovely just to get back and chat with everybody and see people and ask how how the lives have been getting on and what what's what's been been happening over the last two years that have been really hard for everybody and that's really funny because i think wherever you go in the world there's something that crosses borders with miniature gaming or crosses languages or whatever which is the tournament the tournaments in themselves is something to do and a reason for everyone to get together but we, we like to talk about secret sauces on the show a lot. The secret sauce really of why we do what we do is to hang out with our buddies. You know, so I think that's an interesting thing about miniature wargaming that no matter which continent you go to or which which direction the water flows in the toilet bowl, right, Matt? That's like a, a thing that is intrinsic among our hobby no matter where you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though there's still a right direction, Jeremy. Yeah, I agree. That's what brings <laughs> us together. <laughs> you just be quiet and enjoy those nuclear submarines I'm sending you. <laughs> so you just be happy. We were joking about like, you know, uh, uh, when we first, before we started recording, I was talking to Matt and I was like, uh, be thankful. I'm sending you down some some America-made uh, uh, submarines. They'll have French fry deep fryers. There'll be a Krispy Kreme kiosk in the third deck you know or i don't know do submarines have decks i don't, I don't yeah. even know but uh, what we know there won't be is that there, there won't be any french food no <laughs> and you, you won't be able to smoke in it because that's what i heard about french submarines it's the last place you're still allowed to smoke indoors well cool so today's topic uh we're going to get into is we're going to be talking about the elf glade stalker units this is a really interesting unit um that uh uh is a real platform for some of the i think the the rc thinking and we'll get into that with with elliot which is taking similar units are the same unit in some armies right like you had glade stalkers in the in the parent unit you had it in the twilight kin you had it in the silver kin but in clash 2022 we see those different flavors of glade stalkers begin to actually have different rules and different like slight uh gameplay aspects so that's going to be our our sort of uh, star that we follow uh, in this adventure today is we're going to be looking at all the different uh, flavors of Glade Stalkers. But before that, before we get into that, you know, we really haven't had Elliot on the show since the whole Clash of Kings mammoth testing process has gone on. So um, we just have a few just kind of questions to get caught up. Looking back now on the Clash 2022 playtesting, Elliot, how do you think the overall process went for you? Um, I've, I've loved it. It's the, the first time I've obviously been on this side of the, the curtain um, for playtesting. Uh, and it's it, it's really interesting. It's, it's discovered why some things have always been the way they've been. Um, I think it's been helpful being able to bring my experience as a playtester to the, the table as well um, and to sort of share some of the things that I wish I would have had as a playtester. It's also been, it's been such a strange experience testing with people when we're all stuck at home. Um, and so we've, we've had to do a lot of things like Universal Battle. People haven't been able to get together um, and play quite in the same way. But it's it's brilliant and it's terrifying and nerve-wracking at the same time because you you give to the playtester something that you've poured your heart and soul and hours and hours of work into. And then obviously they have no idea what's yours. And, and so they, 
people are ruthless and they tear it, it apart. I shouldn't have this rule. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and occasionally you hand it out and goes, I love this. This is the best thing ever. And you think, oh, brilliant. Yes. <laughs> Got it right. But yeah, I, I've, I've, been, I've enjoyed it. I've been terrified by it. I've been exasperated by it at certain times. But, but overall, it's been a, a really positive experience. And I think, especially with the, the, the amount of content that's going into this book we've we've done a lot of playtesting probably more than i think it's ever been done for a definitely a clash of kings change before and i I think that will really show um when people see the changes that have come through and and all the iterations that they've been through and all the nuance that's that's been changed at, at certain points and I know in third edition, right, in the, in the, in the, the, and we talked about this, you know, when we had you and Pat on when you guys first got into the rules committee, but the third edition playtest, you had done tons of playtest games, right, for that? Oh, well, well, I was the sad git that probably did the most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and anywhere in the world. And I've got the signed book from Romney to, to prove so must, how, like how said, little social life I've got. It must have been interesting to be on the other side of that, which is instead of giving the feedback, you're getting the feedback. So. Yeah, and and it was, and it was really interesting to sort of see how that feedback's used. Um, I know that some of my frustrations sometimes as a playtester was you, you felt like you were giving feedback and getting nothing back in return. Um, when actually now I'm seeing how much all that information is used behind the scenes. Um, so it actually alleviated some of the, the, the frustrations I had around it, um, thinking that, oh, well, I've, I've I fed this back a few times, maybe forgetting that I'm just one voice and that there's another... 30, 40 people who are also feeding back possibly different opinions. And we touched base on this with Matt when we had him on the show, but it seemed like being a tester, uh, the feedback, you know, and we talked about this with Matt about the feedback form, but it, it, as a play tester, we were also reading the other people's feedback. So I know I was anytime there was a battle report, I'd read it. And it definitely seemed like the cry or the, the reports that came back with a more data driven, I know Matt's really big in the data driven are more specific examples or do you guys, was that, it seemed like there was instead of just anecdotal evidence, this go around of, Oh, well, this is just too good. It seems that there was an effort by all testers to be like, here's the situation. Here's the scenario. We played this matchup five times. Here are the army variations. This is what we're having. So was that sort of your sense too? Was the testers had a real effort to, to not just, give anecdotal evidence but also try to give real gameplay feedback definitely yeah there, there was a real quality in the feedback actually um and, and i think some of that's from feedback we've given to testers before around you know we we, we always get the the sky is falling this is terrible i hate this change it without any kind of real world um testing of it um but the the, the the comments and the the, the feedback we're always going to listen to the most are the ones as you say where okay we've tried this we've tried it in five different games we've tried it against a, an all shooting army we've tried it against an all cavalry army here are the times when it works here's when it doesn't um I, I will always listen to that thing of this just doesn't feel right to me or this isn't fun to play against um but you you can't get away from the strength of multiple games lots of data lots of testing um and also, if we're hearing the same thing from multiple places, that that's usually a sign that something is not right or something needs needs changing. And that's really what Matt and I are trying to get across to our audience, which is having both been, uh, you know, playtesters this go around. Is I think sometimes there's uh, in the community a sense of when they see a change, they think someone's on their RC horse driving through the middle of town, just shooting their six guns in the air, going woo, like they're. There's no thinking behind why, you know. I tried. I tried to just push all my changes and then. 
right? Really, apparently, that apparently it doesn't work like that. You've got that to there's a process and that there's data and that there's different perspectives and they're yeah. listening to tournament players. They're listening to players who just like to play a more, more tabletop, kitchen table style. You know, there really is an effort to try to listen uh, and that it is an incredible amount of work. Uh, and that's isn't to say that when the RC makes a mistake or maybe they don't do something that they should be free of critique, but the critique should be based in um, in uh, some form of of data or you've tried it out or or like you said, there's really those those gut reactions. I don't think are are not fully not useful because I think sometimes a gut direction a gut direction is guiding you in a way that is maybe right, but that that gut reaction needs to be followed up with like real uh, testing work. And yeah. I think one of the things I've, I've loved about the amount of testing we've done is it, it's so interesting how everybody has the same gut reactions. So when the Halfling beta list was released, all the same fears that we, we had at the start of playtesting were, were repeated. But I can sit here confident now going, I'm not worried about that because I know that 40, 40 guys have, have torn it to bits and they've tried it and it's not as powerful as to think or it's not a problem or... You can take a whole army of aeronauts if you want, but it's not going to work because we've, we've played 10 or so games like that. So the thing I really do love about the playtesting is that confidence to say, maybe the sky isn't falling, but we check just to be sure. And I think it's, it, but even with that, I think I, you know, I mentioned on the episode with Kyle, it's not like it'll be perfect, right? Because it's still hard. There's still yeah. 26 bloody something armies, right? And you have a, you have a, a group of 60 people who are play testing, maybe half of which are contributing regularly. So it's still like, well, there's a lot of games. It's still hard to get it, get everything in. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I and I, I think that's why I bring up the point, Matt, about like, uh, everyone's going to, uh, make a mistake or I hasten to see everyone make a mistake is anytime a list is released into the wild, right. There's so many permutations and combinations of armies that there's going to be something that we thought was good that isn't as good. I'll, uh, I remember when teleporting Lady Alona came out and that was going to be like how every single undead list was going to be built forever was teleporting Lady Alona behind your lines. And like that was hot for like oh, two weeks. Like and a then, week. Was, a week. Oh, right? I never saw it again. And then it just never happened again. So I think what, what Matt is saying is really true. Is that there's got to be stuff that comes up probably. But the beauty of it, that we, we play within a game that has a Clash of Kings pack to begin with, which meaning... That if something does come out and it seems to be too good, it's not like this is the last balance update that there will be. It's we have these on a regular basis to keep things exciting, keep things fresh, look at issues, you know. So it, it, to me, if something does come out that's maybe a little too good, I'm not worried about it as much because I know it's not written in stone. No, exactly. And I don't think if something does come up, it's not going to be on the huge end because, I mean, part of the focus is, uh, I think you'd agree here, um, Elliot, is that you know, the stuff that's obvious, that's what's jumped on first, you know, and that, yeah. that what seems to come up um, in the opinion of what's broken. And then, you know, and then other things just relies on data. I mean, it's not giving anything away. I think, you know, Elliot and I and Matt, James all play dwarves and, you know, we all had different opinions and they, we probably provided the most data on the dwarf stuff. You know, some got through from different parts and some didn't, you know, but none of it will end up in anything being broken, I don't think, because none of it was jumping out as too obvious. 
But and what, I think, what I will do, what I will sorry, say sorry, that, that is completely fitting is that the army that had the most differences of opinion was dwarves. Not a single <laughs> dwarf playtester could agree on anything. And isn't that fantastic. so? It isn't that so true to the fluff, right? Of all yeah. these little angry, <laughs> you know, angry dwarves saying, uh, "This unit should be this." Get, get, getting a consensus on dwarf change was a nightmare because you'd have three or four reports coming and going, right, we've got a position now. And three or four would come in on the exact opposite with a perfectly valid act. Like, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think this is a really good opportunity too that we mentioned in the process um, in the chat with Kyle Elliott is that, that like the community owes you and the other RC guys a massive debt of gratitude because it is an enormous amount of work. And having been on the inside now, you know, we can – um, I, you know, I still don't know for sure, but I can see, and I talk to Mike a lot, but, um, you know, we can, we can at least suppose the amount of work you guys are doing. So, you know, thank you for what you guys bring to the game. Likewise as well. I think it's, it's really important to say thank you to all the player testers because it's, the, the motivation is always there for me because I, I know that the, the, the work I'm doing, I can input and see directly into the book. And so it's not, it's not hard for me to be motivated to do it. But to play test actually is really difficult because you've got to put in almost as much effort and work without that reassurance of all this effort I'm putting in is directly going to influence the book. Now it does, and I can guarantee them it does, but it, it's a it's a real leap of faith. And, and I really do want to say thank you to all the play testers because it's it's hard work. Um, you know, I, I know lots of people would want to do it, want to be involved in doing it, but it's it, it can be quite quite difficult sometimes when you're constantly being asked to keep abreast of all the changes and and you're not just playing games necessarily for the fun of it. You've got to then sit and write up a three or four sides of A4 afterwards. It's um, it, it's not, you know, it's not a nothing task to ask people to do. Well, and not just the report after, but you've often got to play lists that you don't even like, yeah, right? Exactly. You know, oh, you know, let's let's you know let's test what all shooting does here. And you know, I think a lot of people don't necessarily like that style, but you know, it needs to be tested. So it's it's interesting sometimes having to play lists that you would never write yourself. <laughs> yeah, and I know, like you say, like when Tom Tom Anderson and Annis and I did a lot of playtesting together, and we would try to, um, you know, take pictures of every turn, like the top of the turn, the bottom of the turn we were playing on UB, you know, and really having like a a, a deep discussion with each other after we. So when you think about it, you're playing the game as a playtester, you're having the discussion, you're doing the write up. I mean, it is a long process. I think that's why you saw the playtest community was bigger than what the actual people were providing feedback a little bit because it was a lot of work that maybe some playtesters would do a game or two, but the people who were doing like three or four games a week, you know, that is a lot of work. But I think in the end we do that right, Elliot, because we want the people, we want to, to, to have the game that we play, that we all play, be as good as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as far as the the, the, the testing itself, um, what was sort of your area, our, our armies, or what was sort of the section that you were working more fully on? Um, I suppose I didn't really have a, a section, so to speak. I mean, obviously, I've got the armies that I play and that I I know fairly well. Um, and and we were so we, we were all we were all split into armies for the, the initial ideas. Um, you know, I can't even remember what mine were now. Such a long time ago <laughs> that I was doing it. The dwarves were originally mine to start with, but they've changed beyond recognition from the first draft. Because as I say, we couldn't couldn't possibly agree on anything um, of what might go in there. Uh, I worked on the, the elves. So the, the all three of the elves were done together with a, a sort of, sort of um, subgroup of us. Um, 
the the brother Mark I worked on originally, but then that was again they've changed quite quite significantly during playtesting, and I think very much for the better. Um, they're they're probably one of the most exciting armies I think coming out of um, th- th- this book, and there was definitely others that I've worked on as well. But I think after that kind of initial drafting of ideas stage, it very much became collaborative, um, and it became a process between all the feedback we were getting and all six of us together sort of working across everything and everywhere. Um, and there can be a real benefit sometimes of somebody that doesn't play the army bringing new ideas or maybe sometimes be that challenging voice to say, does every single army really need to have X, Y, and Z archetype in it? Um, do you want that because you think it's good for the game or do you want that because you know, you, you're know you a particular player or that's the style you, you'd like? So yeah, I think it was a, generally I think we've all worked on everything. Um, I certainly can't think of an army I've not sort of got involved in at least a little bit. And that's that interesting, uh, you know, line that you walk, which is I tended to play test more the more the armies that I play in real life, because the idea is you have an insight of how that army is supposed to function and et cetera, et cetera. So your feedback tends to be around through that lens, whereas playing an army that you've never played before. It's like fresh eyes editing, right? Sometimes you can read a, a, a piece of writing you've worked on and it, it reads as clean to you. And then you give it to someone who's never seen it ever before. And immediately they're like, oh, this is weird. This is a mistake. This doesn't feel right. You know, so I think it was maybe 80% of our, our chunk of the testing being driven by these are the armies that I know. And then getting feedback also from the people who've never played it is valuable too. I think one of the 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 areas where it's really really valuable having somebody that knows an army well testing it is army composition. Um, so I can look at almost any unit in the game and say yes, I feel that's balanced against this, and this is a fair unit. But I think you can only really learn what it's like to build lists if you play that, that army quite frequently. Uh, and the the example um, is a good one is ogres. So I've I've never played ogres. I've never built an ogre list, and. Ogre players were telling me I've got a real problem with unlocks. And I'm going, well, how can you possibly have a problem with unlocks when you've got all your units of hordes? And it wasn't until they broke it down and said, well, all of our units that we want to take are heroes. Um, and yes, we have horde unlocks, but that's no use if I can only unlock one hero because I don't have monsters I want to take and I don't have war engines I want to take. So I think having somebody that, that knows an army really well can flag issues like that. So things like the Twilight King, where... Yes, they've got a hard unlock, but their hard unlock is 240 points and their cheapest unlock is a shooting unit. And if you don't want to take shooting units, well, then you're out of luck. That's the kind of nuance that I don't think you get as a casual observer in army. You really need to talk to people that know an army well. Um, I'd have tried to build lists and have become frustrated when they can't build a list the way they want to build it or feel like they're always being pushed down a certain route with an army building. Well, awesome. Um, So we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come in on the other side, I am really excited because one one flavor of these Glade Stalkers, I've tested a whole heap, so I can't wait to talk about it. We're going to be looking at the different flavors of Glade Stalkers. We will be right back. I'm Andy2D6, the Orange Legend, and you're listening to Counter Charge. Get ready to charge those counters. Hi guys, this is General Gaddafi from Singapore, and you're listening to Counter Charge. And we are back. So let's now talk about the Glade Stalkers and the reasoning behind the changes uh, to the Glade Stalkers. I think we've we've picked this as a really good example of um, 
I guess part of the overall uh, approach to this to this new Clash of Kings uh, supplement of how you can take a unit that exists but tweak it a little bit uh, to to fit certain factions. Um, so Elliot, do you want to talk to us a little bit about the the reasoning around making the different Glade Stalker units in the first place? Yeah, so I, I mean, I suppose we probably should say what the what the changes are and and, and what's what's happening. It goes shouldn't we first? I don't know if anyone everyone actually knows this yet. Um, so the the idea is at the moment, uh, Elf, Sylvan Kin, and Twilight Kin all can just take Glade Stalkers from the Elf Master List. Um, and what we've done with with Clash of Kings is Sylvan Kin and Twilight Kin can no longer take Glade Stalkers, Kindred Glade Stalkers, um, but they can take Sylvan Glade Stalkers and Twilight Glade Stalkers. Um, similar units based on a similar profile, but with with slight tweaks uh, here and there, just just to give them their own individual flavour. Um, the, the, the reasoning for it was that w- when we very first sat down to look at Clash of Kings 2022 and, and what we wanted to do with it, uh, as the RC, we all sort of wrote down themes of feedback we'd heard and what it was we wanted to change kind of as headlines. Um, and one of them that, that a few of us placed, and we've heard mentioned a few times, was that the different theme lists don't have enough identity of their own. That they're a cool idea that hasn't been built upon quite enough yet. So a Sylvankin list isn't quite unique enough from an elf list to really make it its own army. And so one of the ways we looked at for changing that was looking at some of the units that are shared across armies and did any of them sort of jump out that could be change very slightly just to give them a theme that fits with that theme list um, and makes them their own unique identity uh, and glade stalkers just seemed like the really obvious choice for that of that they're already the more elite more specialized um elf unit and so th- there was really a, a an obvious unit there to specialize into the individual roles um just to give them that that real identity um for Sylvan Kin and for, for Twilight Kim. Yeah, great. Okay. And so I, I guess let's maybe go over through the new base profile for Glade Stalkers because that was that was targeted as a bit of a as a bit of a unit that probably needed a little bit of a buff for its points anyway. So do you want to take us through kind of what that base unit profile change is and then we can kind of talk about the differences from there? As you say, the the base Glade Stalker unit is a it's kind of a much maligned elf unit that even though in the last clash of kings it was made regular um and on paper seems to have a really good profile it isn't a unit that we we see taken very often um i don't think it's a, a secret that um when we're costing up units we 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 have a formula that we use and then at the end of that formula that's when the kind of the new ones and the the gut feelings come in to, to change points around but I think Glade Stalkers and a couple of the other hybrid sort of shooting and combat units, I think they suffer from the use of the formula, maybe more than others, because they're they're paying all the points for the shooting and they're paying all the points for their combat ability. Um, and so Glade Stalkers were, were a, a good example of a unit that, that maybe the formula needed to be ignored a little bit uh, and we needed to go in and just make some changes kind of off-piste. Um, so we, we've looked at how we can improve them we're, we're not keen to improve their shooting ability we think their shooting is is really powerful um and it is is good enough as it is already um so we, we've actually looked at other similar units that are, that are well taken um 
and, and the unit we, we fell on is the the dwarf rangers um and the dwarf rangers are slightly different because they're a, a melee unit with a shooting attack whereas blade stalkers are based off a ranged unit that happens to be able to fight uh, and so we swapped that around slightly so rather than having the eight and ten attack profile for a troop and regiment that a range unit has we've switched that to 10 and 12 um, as if they were a melee unit uh, we've increased their melee value up to three plus to represent the fact that these are elite combat elves that also carry bows um, and we've changed their unit strength as well so they're now unit strength one for the troop still um, but up to unit strength three um, for the, the regiment and that just means that it's a, a more well-rounded unit that can can really operate in every single uh, area of the battlefield um, having melee three and they've still got their steady aim and their bows uh, means that the Gladstalkers can actually move up, shoot, and then really get involved in the fight. Um, and they've always had pure elite, so they don't have elite melee or elite ranged. Um, so the, the Kindred Gladstalkers now can actually be involved in every stage of it. They've got the higher unit strength to, to go and score objectives. And just two extra attacks on shooting and combat really can tip them over to being a, a very powerful unit. And like you said, it makes sense. I always like when rules... Uh parallel and go along with fluff and theme and if these are like your your elf special ops forces like your navy seal elves they shoot they shoot better right but they also should be able to like what your special ops elf groups that's like waiting in the shadows for you once you get to them they like drop their they have like wiffle ball bats that they hit you i mean you know it makes sense that they would be able to fight you too yeah absolutely and uh, talk to us about how you got to that set of changes in the end. And like, was it was it hard to come that, to that set of changes? Was there consensus that uh, that straight away that these were all good changes? Uh, talk Not to us a little bit no. about that process. No, no, no. Uh, Glazedarkers were probably the most controversial unit. Um, I think internally within the RC, to start with, uh, never mind playtesting. That's a, a whole other topic. Um, no, we. I think because the the Glazedalkers, we, we all acknowledged that they weren't up to a point where we wanted them to be. Um, but because we were going so off piece with the kind of agreed formula, um, it was one that I think we we had the most discussion on of where to go with them. Um, we were just decided we we're discussing whether or not just to give them a, a points deduction. Um, but I think the the reason we came to this this decision in the end was one as you say for that fluff reason of we we really want their stats to fit this idea of a really elite elf unit um and we felt that just keeping the same profile but lowering the cost while it might have been functional it just didn't feel very cool um a, a straight points deduction I, I don't think anyone looks at it and think that's really cool i want an army of that now um and so we wanted to keep the idea of the elves are expensive. They are they're going to be the most expensive units on the board, but they're also going to be the best at what they do. Um, and I think when we all sort of talked about all the different possible chopping and changing we could do with the stats, following that principle of what feels most elvish was was really how we got to that profile in the end. Yeah, and I think you know it's done a really good job of that across the board. Uh, so. What about so specifically? I guess you you talked about the change to melee three. Um, what about the unit strength upgrade? Is is that something? I guess that uh, you're looking at in general, or it was just more about you know making them more usable. That you felt that the melee wasn't quite enough. 
So the, the unit strength was more the fact that we, I mean, as I say, if you look across the game, um, infantry regiments come in two flavours. They either come in shooting or, or melee as like a base unit. Um, shooting units tend to have eight attacks for the troop and ten for the regiments, um, and then unit strength one or two for the regiments. And the melee units have um, ten attacks and, and twelve attacks for the regiment and uh, unit strength of one and three for the regiment. And so we we wanted to to change it around as if this was this is a combat unit that that happens to have a bow and be very good at the bow. Um, and so rather than than just go for the melee increase, we we sort of made that you know wholesale shift really to this is a combat unit. It has all the same profiles that any other combat unit would have, but it's also got a bow attack that it can use as well. Um, and I think by by shifting all those things together at once, it, it really shows that this is this is now a combat unit, um, and it isn't an archer unit that just so happens to have full elite uh, and and higher melee. Yeah, great. Okay. Well, now let's touch on how we're, you've started to tweak this unit to fit the themes of the other armies. Uh, let's let's first go to the Sylvan Kin. Uh, so I'll I'll read out these. So we've we've got a similar speed. We don't have the change to melee, so it's staying at four plus. And I think the biggest change, without giving everything away, is that uh, we have stealthy as their special rule as a, as an option. Um, so speak to us about uh, why stealthy and no melee three from the from the RC point of view. Um, so the, I mean the, the the silver ones are definitely the the one that changed the most throughout playtesting. Um, and so they they had lots of other different rules in the past. Um, we originally started with ignore cover, um, which I, I've, I think is probably the strongest response I've ever seen in playtesting to absolutely do not do that. This is awful. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anything tested quite so thoroughly and proven to a point of why we shouldn't do something. Um, so thematically, ignore cover was great. The idea that you could fire your bows and they used to be in dense forests and they, they, they wouldn't mind. Um, turns out it's horrible to play against and nobody likes that. So that, that was scrapped quite quickly. Um, but the idea of stealthy is that these are elves that spend their entire time stalking prey in a forest. Um, if they can survive against the biggest, nastiest, most horrible things in, in the, the woods of Panathor and sneak up on it and kill it without even them realising, then stealthy, I think, is the, the, the least they should have. In terms of not having the melee, it, it's a tricky one because I'd love to tell you there's a, a fluff reason behind it, but one of the decisions that we, we came to was that all of the variants of Gladestalkers should cost the exact same points. And so that anything we add on to the, um, the theme versions has to have some give and take somewhere. Um, so when we looked at all the, the things that we could drop off them, um, we decided for the Sylvan Kim ones especially, we wanted to keep that shooting really strong, um, which meant something had to give somewhere else. Uh, and it, it just seemed really obvious in this instance that the melee value kind of had to go from the base profile to allow for that stealth and to keep the shooting uh, as it is. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, the the blowback against that ignores cover was quite incredible, wasn't it? And and to the credit of those people that read it and you know on fanatics you just get the oh this is broken blah 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 right. But they went straight ahead and tested why it was broken. I was uh, I was tabled many a times trying to kill <laughs> uh, ignore cover glade stalker lists. So my pain is your guys' joy. 
out there in the community. <laughs> I was killed many, many, a, many a weekend trying to figure out if this army was, you know, what you could do against it. And that ignore cover was just, it was just too good. It took away all your agency on how to play against shooting armies. And it, it was just too tough. Yeah. But th- th- this is exactly why we play test. Because yeah. it was a, it was an it was an idea put forward because it was thematic and it, it fit really well, um, but that that was a very clear example of this is not fun. This is not fun to play against. And as you say, I, it takes away all of my counter players. There's nothing I can do against it. It just it, this is happening. They're now just rolling dice at me. Yeah, and I think we've still ended up with an option via the special rules of something that's quite thematic, right? Um, okay. All right. Well, Jeremy, do you want to take us through the, the sure. other version? Yeah. So I'll take us to the, through, uh, the twilight Ken version of glade stalkers. So twilight Ken, the, the sort of the two main armies, and I talked a little bit about this in the episode with Matt, but the two main armies that, uh, I tested this go around was Basalia trademark and twilight Ken. Um, you know, Basilea, obviously I, I know it really well. I played it over the years. And Twilight Ken has been one of the armies that I played a lot, plus wanted to do, but have always been, like Elliot mentioned, frustrated in the army composition, which, as you guys will see when the book comes out, there's some really nice new options for Twilight Ken. So I really wanted to get those tested out. So the Twilight Glade Stalkers, they um, keep the Melee 3 Plus, so they have that as as what the, the base Glade Stalkers. They still have Elite. They still have uh, Pathfinder and Scout, but they lose steady aim. But what they do get, sort of like as Elliot talked about, it's got to be give and take, right? So they're giving up steady aim, but what they're gaining is uh, a poison attack, basically, for those who have played 40k or whatever, uh, which essentially means they have built-in hammer of measured force. So they're always wounding on a 4+, plus, regardless of any modifiers. So... I really like this unit. Um, uh, in my playtest games, what I found is that because they don't have steady aim anymore, if you're moving with them, you're hitting on fives or sixes with cover. So their shooting is not as good, but what you're getting in that is you're getting a little bit of, I'm going to shoot at you, shoot at you, sneak up, shoot at you, shoot at you, I'm going to sneak up, and then if you if you give me a flank, all of a sudden that's 20 attacks on threes with elite, auto-wounding on fours, that they can become really devastating in combat, but they're still defense three, right? So they're still... You you just put a couple wounds into them and you can waver them. So um, what were your sort of thoughts on this change as a, as a Twilight Ken player? I mean, this is one of my favorite units from the from the whole Clash of Kings pack. Yeah, I, I love this unit. I, I've been testing out a, a troop of them on the flank of my Spear Horde. So they, they sit there shooting, sit there shooting... Anything charges the hard, it's unlikely to kill it in one go. And then these flank and, as you say, do 20 attacks. Elite melee three with the built-in hammer and measured force in the flank. Um, and, and this was another one where the uh, the fluff for Twilight King all the way through talks about how they imbue their weapons with venom uh, and poisons. And that wasn't represented anywhere in, in the, the list at that point. And and so when we were looking around for um, ways we could make Glazedockers Twilight here, this was the obvious unit um, to to have these these poisoned weapons. Um, I love these. I think it's a it's very twilight kin to forego that bit of shooting because they're basically getting rid of the patience. They're getting rid of the ability to stalk the prey. They're just they, they want to get in there. They want to get in there and they want to fight. And 
they they know they can kill whatever they hit. Um, I also love the idea of these because they're so they're always damaging on four pluses. These feel like you know monster slayers to me now. Um, that that real twilight can glaze like a unit of really sneaking up on something and just just you know catching something totally unawares that thinks it's fully armored, thinks it's a big thing, and it just just taken down very quickly. Yeah, and I like it just a lot. Army composition-wise, I in testing, I ran a lot of double troops. I ran a lot of double regiments. For those thinking it's maybe too good, I played against a lot of full PK um, units where it was a Twilightkin army that's basically its entire core was based around these new Glade Stalkers. And the fact that when they are moving, their shooting is way less effective and defense-wise still really easy to kill. Um, those lists didn't really work. So I feel at, at having played test this unit pretty thoroughly, it's in a pretty good spot. And I just love Twilight Kin doesn't have a lot, you know, outside of some some other thing or, or non-Twilight Kin-y things to deal with high defense. I mean, you have volume of attacks, you have some other things, but this gives you a tool that to deal with like defense six golems or, or something like that, that they can't just push them up willy nilly. If your glade stalkers are in are you know, they have pathfinder so they can charge through cover. So I just, it really gives a twilight can army a, a, a nice tool. And I'm all for unit types that perform well when played correctly or perform poorly when played correctly against. So eight player agency. And this is one of those units that I think really captures that. Yeah, and and that's what I've I love about all the Glaciarca variants now. Actually, is that they're they're all they're they're really good. They've got a definite role now, but they're they're not very forgiving. Um, as you say, there's still 175 points wrapped up in a defense three regiment. Um, if if you just throw these in thinking that they they're going to be a tanky unit, you're going to be mistaken quite quickly. Um, but they're all they're all very dangerous now, and they've all got their own niche. Um, and yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they're, obviously my favourite would be the Twilight ones because I'm, I'm a, uh, a very much a Twilight game player. Um, but yeah, th- this this for me is fantastic now. This is a, a genuine serious elf unlock um, for a Twilight kid list, which I think is brilliant. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that was one thing that uh, being a lover of, of Twilight Kin is the army had some unlock issues, which... I can't wait for you guys to see the book because there's some really awesome ways to 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 work around that. Uh, yeah, so definitely one of the more exciting uh, units in the game. What, what's your thoughts on this unit, Matt? Yeah, I, I'm just loving the the changes to the units in all. I think they they all do a great job of injecting that little bit of difference that you know really people have been crying out for. So <clears throat> I think not even specifically Twilight Glade Stalkers. I think it's a it's a good change to to fit that fluff i mean i i think i really prefer the versions that have the melee three um but i i would still absolutely take the the sylvan kin the sylvan kin option uh with the stealthy in cover you know it's a great option that fits the fluff yeah i like the 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 sylvan kin version like we talked about really like the one weakness of the glade stalkers is is the defense three and defense three Troops or defense three type units are really susceptible to counter shooting, especially like light counter shooting. Like that's one weekend, one weakness the Twilight one has or the regular ones have, right? You get up, you take one or two damage from light shooting, like one lightning bolt or whatever. All of a sudden you're in Waver, Waver Town, whereas the Sylvankin one, that's the sort of nice benefit where they're maybe not more effective 
combat-wise, but it, they give you a tool on how to get them where you need as far as not being so susceptible to light counter-shooting. Well, so, you bring up a really you bring up a really good point there about that in general. You know, some people might go, "Oh, melee three, you know, that's a pretty big buff." Well, they're still def three. You know, they're still going to die to the breeze blowing in the wrong direction. So you keep them in the front as an opponent. You know, then they're, they're not going to hurt the hell out of you before you get to an opportunity to take them off. Yeah, like one lightning bolt three. I mean, you do a point of damage, and they can be uh, the troop can be wavered. Uh, you know, are I mean, obviously they can be wavered on double six, but I'm meaning that these guys just need to take a, a couple of wounds, and they are in waver town. So yeah. I like units that are like that, which are the high risk, high reward type units that require to be played correctly. I think are really exciting type units, and it's just I love the idea of like the the Twilight Glade stalkers coming up out of the swamp, and they got all like the camouflage, and then the golems are lumbering by, but they have this like special magical poison. I just theme wise, not only is it a fun rule to play with in the game. But again, it it goes back to that sort sort of core idea in this Clash of Kings pack, which is, let's have a buff, but let's just not have the buff floating on an island, not making any sense. Let's try whenever possible to make these buffs, flavor wise, fit into the overall idea of what the army should be. When we had uh, Kyle on uh, Elliot, and I'm curious to ask this question of you as well, we did like our top five favorite changes in the clash of kings pack and no need to think of five but is there maybe one or two things that sort of like general things out of the cock pack that that you're most excited about um i think the, the one of the biggest ones for me is monsters and titans um across the board are getting some attention um and i think one of the things we, we very much pulled out was that there isn't often many reasons to take some of the fantastic monsters and, and big titan models um other than the fact that they're cool but they they often cost the same if not more than say a large infantry hard but don't do the job as well um and so we've we very much looked at that um we, we've we've found ways and there's going to be a few different buffs to the monsters so rather than rather than just being playing better um there might be more of a support monster now or they might be particularly good at killing other monsters or particularly good at killing infantry um so that, that that's something I really am looking forward to. Um, I, I really like some of the, well, I think I don't know if we're allowed to say it, but I'm saying that we've added a few new units into the game. Uh, and every new unit we've added has been specifically to address something that either isn't fun or feels too limiting. So I don't, we haven't added anything just for the sake of adding, let's have bring a powerful new unit in. Um, Instead, it's always been this army doesn't have enough unlocks um, or this army doesn't have anything anything that makes it feel unique or its own army um, or something that something else like that, that that really, really sort of fits thematically and really addresses a problem that wasn't necessarily a power problem, but a, an enjoyment problem. Um, and that's why I like it a great example of that, that everyone's always said to us, why on earth have you got a, an elf army that doesn't have any elves in it? Well, I don't think that's going to be a problem anymore. Um, the elves are getting an unlock, but they're not just getting the standard elf unlock. They're getting a very Twilightkin unlock. Um, so, yeah, I think that they're sort of my two biggest themes that I'm really looking forward to. And, and some of the theme lists that have maybe played second fiddle at the moment are now going to be pulled right up to the forefront. Um, will feel unique and will have some really powerful 
really competitive builds, I think, from now on. And that was one of the things on your list, right? Back in the Kyle episode, Matt, was the change to Monsters and Titans was on yeah, your list too. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing some of those big, beautiful models, um, more of them on the table. Well, awesome. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back. We'll do shout-outs, and we'll wrap up the show. We'll be right back. I'm Ronnie from Mantic Games, and you're listening to Countercharge. Hello, this is Duncan Rhodes from the Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy, and I hope you're about to apply a second thin coat just there whilst you're listening to Countercharge. And we're back. So now it's time to wrap up the show. Again, thanks a lot to for coming on, Elliot. Um, are there any shout-outs that you'd like to give uh, before we before we finish up for the evening? Um, just just the usual to all, all the UKTOs that are starting to get the events calendar filled up again, because I know it's it's hard and it's especially hard when it's still uncertain about when we can hold events and how it'll look. But I think that the UK tournament scene is is bouncing back massively at the minute. We've this weekend alone, there's two GTs running um, at the same time, which is fantastic. So just just a thank you really to all all TOs across the UK and, and everywhere really that are, are getting us back together and getting us back gaming. And what about yourself, Jeremy? Anything from you? Yeah, just a uh, shout out to um, all the fellow playtesters. Uh, we've we've talked about it a lot, and I think it's just an important narrative to keep in all these episodes. Is all the hard work and love and dedication that the RC and 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 the playtesters and I mean, often what you would hear is playtesters who were playtesting their army and it was an army they had in real life, they would tell each other, hey, guys, this unit's too good. You know, so there was not at all really like if you were advocating in your art for something in an army that you played, it was an argument that was based with like data and backup. And so I just, you know, again, hitting that theme of everyone involved with playtesting really wanted the game to be as fun as possible for all people playing and not just like give my army all the stuff. You know, that was not uh, it was pretty obvious that people were thinking about the game in a holistic way. So just a shout out to um, to all the playtesters, um, everything. And then, you know, we have one more episode right coming up, Matt, which, again, if you listen closely to this episode, you might hear a hint in regards to our final episode, which is going to be a faction focus, looking at a faction that maybe has changed a little bit more than some of those other factions. So uh, that will be coming out next Wednesday to sort of wrap up our Clash of Kings coverage. And then just make sure to buy the book, guys. Um, it's going to be on Easy Army probably, right, with the subscription. But, um, you know, for Mantic to exist as a company making the game that we love, they got to sell stuff. So... The book's pretty cheap, so just make sure you've pre-ordered it at your local game store. If they're getting it, you know, always try to support your local game store or on the website or whatever. Just make sure to pick up the book. Um, yeah, and from, yeah, and from uh, me, again, um, another big thanks to the RC and the playtesters. I particularly want to th um, thank our local playtesting group, um, uh, you know, mostly playtesters, we sp split into regions just so time zones and things are mattered. And we have a really good group locally um, and particularly in the early stages of playtesting with the new um, Halflings Army and the some of the secrets that are in the book. Um, I think we did a lot of the early testing. Well, I think you guys were a bit distracted by your masters at first, Jeremy. Um, so, you know, we had the volume of playtests early. Um and then you guys came in big time 
with the with the Clash of Kings changes. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, the beginning of testing, we were getting ready for Masters, and as anyone knows who have, who has gone or tried to compete for Masters, and Elliot plays at a high level too. You know, when you're getting ready for like an event like that, you're you're completely focused. But it was really amazing because it was like usually after Masters, there's kind of like a hobby juju, like yo, what am I gonna do next? But there's also sort of like a post Masters malaise. Fun. You know, yeah. when you're just kind of like, well, what do I do now? And we got to right after Masters go into this, you know, again, I, I say I, I'm not trying to be a broken record. And I know uh, I've been accused of being a positivity fascist in the past. But I mean, this version of the game is just so much effing fun that not only was it great to just play test, but it's like every book, it would be like, oh, my gosh. Or every game, it would be like, I can't believe this happened, and then this happened, and it was great. You know, it's like, uh, uh, it's like Oprah. You know, you get a fun rule, you get a fun rule, everyone gets a fun rule. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I'm just so so excited. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree there, mate. And then last shout out is for those of you, uh, we're looking well on track to be. 80 to 90% vaxxed by Christmas, potentially here in Australia. So it's very likely that Clash of Kings Australia will be running and tickets are on sale at cowaustralia.com. Um, so jump on there and, and have a look. Um, other than that, that's that's all I've got. And so... And then now we've been doing our... Uh, I'm curious what people think, uh, Matt, who have been watching our live stream shows on Sunday. You know, we've mm. now been doing those for, you know, over a month or so now. So if anyone yeah. has any feedback on if they like them or what they would like us to talk about or our guests or whatever, you know, just let us know in the Facebook chat what you yeah, guys. The, have been the six people that have been watching. Yeah, the six, the six people. We want <laughs> to sure. stream in the middle of the night. Well, I know for yeah. you guys, right? Um, <laughs> that's the boat, it's, but... it's on YouTube, Elliot. You can watch it back. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a live stream then. Yeah, yeah, true. It's just, it's just a video. <laughs> that is very yeah. true. I can't, yeah. I can't interact and haggle. <laughs> and that's the best part of watching live streams, right? Is is uh, making fun or commenting on Matt's shirts or uh, whatever my whatever headband I happen to have on. So, mm. Elliot's fish sandwiches when he was doing the Dash Twenty Eight live streams. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, was, yeah. that was a good choice as a fish finger sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> isn't, isn't it crazy, Elliot? Just like uh, we talk about it on the show a lot too, but just how much the Kings of War hobby has grown in the last few years, as far as what people do creating content for the game, it's just crazy. It's fantastic, I know, and there's, there, as I say, there, there is so much out there now, um, and it's still growing, which is brilliant. Um, and what's what's really strange for me is um, how much the game has grown during lockdown, and actually starting to go to tournaments and speaking to people, and someone say, oh, I, I know you from the blog, or I know you from the live, from the um, Dash 28 live streams. And I, th and I sort of forget there's other people out there that I'm not just talking to the people that I already know. Um I think that's fantastic. I think it's a, it's great that there's people listening to this and enjoying it, and and if that gets them into the hobby, then then brilliant. And you're very welcome. And please please come join us and come to events and come meet us in person and do all this because it's it's a lot of fun and it's it's great to it's great to meet new people that were kind of inspired by by listening to something or um or reading something and seeing photos online. Yeah, sometimes I think about that too. I mean, we do the show. We've talked about it. We like it. It's fun. It's also like you, you want to give something back into the hobby community. But, you know, I like, you know, we, you, you're you doing your regular life and you, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to go on Dash 28, like you said, do a live stream or we're going to do a podcast episode. And then once it's put out into the ether, I don't really think about 
if people are listening, <laughs> I hope they are, but it's not like something actively in my mind. I want the show to be as good as possible just from a, uh, uh, qual- you know, we want to do something that's good, you know, just for the sake of wanting to, if you do something, do it well, but it isn't until you go to an event and, you know, you'll be talking or someone will, doesn't know what I look like, but they hear my voice and they'll be like, Oh, are you, Jer-? you know, they reckon, I don't even want, it's like not trying to be like, ha ha ha. I'm so famous because I'm not at all, but it's just funny. Like you said, to, to realize that our community is growing enough that the content that content creators make there's an audience for it and that people are enjoying that. That's what I, you know, wrap my head around sometimes. It's crazy. I mean. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I totally agree. I think the explosion in content, particularly this year, I guess some people maybe have had a bit more um, more time. It's just fantastic that you've now got these options of, uh, I mean, for a while there, it was only the audio options of podcasts, right? There wasn't much in the way of of content, but, you know, you look at uh, channels like Steve's, it, it has over a thousand subscribers now, you know, um, I mean, Andy Ransom's been there for a while, but putting out plenty of battle reports, um, you know, you've just got lots of um, options. There's now the um, Drunken Dwarf podcast, you know, all this stuff coming up. I think that the growth in that is great and just gives people different options for what they want. Yeah, shout out to Steve. You know, he does a lot of he does the, um, you know, the weekly update or the bi week or fortnight or whatever he's calling it. But but he's doing battle reports and, um, you know, stuff on uh, play styles. And, you know, he had his uh, chatter pillar sort of interview segment he was working on. You know, and sometimes, you know, people come and go to the podcast, you know, life and lots of crazy stuff. So, you know, Steve is always a member of the family. And uh, if you haven't checked out his Death by Dragons channel, really make sure to. He does like a really high quality channel. So don't watch it too close to that because he thrashed me at Falfa's neck. Ah, did okay. he really? Did. I didn't know he had any real talent. Neither did I he thrashed me. <laughs> you were too complacent elliot <laughs> yeah. uh, well yeah. that's what you get for bringing an army you never play so yeah. well, that's it. Uh-huh. Mm. um all right well we might wrap it up there elliot would you like to take us out i will thank you very much for having me and remember to always keep counter charging thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on counter charge Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.